Ladies and gentlemen, we are live with another edition of the one, the only Sean Sports Stop podcast. That's right. Believe it or not, this is the third day in a row that I'm doing an episode and I could not be happier. This is number 361. We got plenty to talk about. Before I get into everything, I want to thank Crimson IT for sponsoring today's podcast episode. If you or someone you know has a small or medium-sized company that needs managed IT services, go to crimsonit.com. Tell them that you found them from the Sean Sports Thought Podcast, and they will give you a discount of up to 50% on whatever product or service it is you're looking for. So hit them up. And without further ado, let's get back to the show. Michigan moved into the projected college football playoff rankings after climbing to number two in the week 14 rankings. A week after Ohio State jumped to number two in the poll, the Wolverines shook things up with a 42-27 blowout win over the Buckeyes. Michigan is now on track to reach the national semifinals alongside number one Georgia, number three Alabama, and number four Cincinnati. Um, So yeah, as is the case every year around this time, the biggest story in the ranking is which team will grab the final spots in the playoff. Several teams especially have a strong case for number four heading into week 14. Cincinnati completed an undefeated regular season, but the toughest test in conference is still ahead with an AAC title game against number 21 Houston. I think Cincinnati will take care of it. For what it's worth, Houston coach Dana Holgerson is a believer in the Bearcats, saying, quote, they're deserving of where they're ranked in the CFP. He said Tuesday per Mitch Stacey of the Associated Press, they should be ranked higher, in my opinion, based on what they've done here over the last couple of years and the quality of football they have played. I would agree with that. Cincinnati's win over Notre Dame in October remains one of the best single victories of any contender this season, and it should ensure the Bearcats stay above the number six fighting Irish in the poll. So Cincinnati is looking good. Oklahoma State still remains a top contender after a 37-33 win over Oklahoma on Saturday. Spencer Sanders had a passing and rushing touchdown to lead a come-from-behind victory over their team's biggest rival. The Cowboys will try to add to their resume with a Big 12 title if they can beat Baylor on Saturday. Michigan also has an important battle in the Big 10 football championship against number 13 Iowa with a, winning, with a win, almost certainly clinching a spot for them in the national semifinal. Of course, the biggest conference title game is in the SEC as Georgia faces Alabama. The Bulldogs have been the most dominant team in college football all season and should stay in the playoff even with a loss, but nothing would be guaranteed. Who knows how it could be shaken up. Alabama, meanwhile, can either clinch a spot in the playoff with a win or play well enough to convince the committee that it should remain in the field even with two losses. So we'll see how it all plays out. That's the latest update on the college football playoff rankings. Now switching gears to baseball. New New York Met Max Scherzer believes the New York Mets will soon compete for a World Series. The pitcher, who signed a three-year deal worth $130 million with the team in free agency, discussed the impact of owner Steve Cohen at his introductory press conference earlier today. Quote, he looks at this like he wants to win a championship and he's going to do whatever it takes to win. You don't hear that from owners too often these days. There has been some criticism about the negativity in New York's clubhouse after the Mets finished 77 and 85 last season, but Scherzer is not worried about it, saying, quote, I'd say in my career, clubhouses can change, and it only takes a few guys to change it, the 14-year MLB veteran said. For me, I feel like the guys we're bringing in can do that, can obviously change that. The culture can change, that's a challenge, but a challenge we are willing to meet. The 37-year-old obviously has a resume that's impressive he's an eight-time all-star three-time Cy Young award winner and won the world series with the washington nationals in 2019 last season he was sensational finishing 15 and 4 with a 2.46 era the lowest in the mlb in 30 starts between the nationals and los angeles dodgers quote max is one of the greatest pitchers of this and any generation cohen said today scherzer also creates one of the best one-two punches in the majors alongside jacob Degrom. Quote, a dream of pitching with him. We can do some great things together. It's a real exciting opportunity for myself. 
Of course, the huge salary will lead to high expectations, especially pay- playing in New York. Paying Francisco Lindor uh, over $300 million does not ease that pressure as well. Quote, the pressure of this is a privilege, not a problem. I really enjoy being somewhere where you're expected to win. And that's definitely true. Max Scherzer is the ultimate competitor. He will do anything it takes to win. Uh, it's pretty clear by some of his other comments. He basically implied that the Dodgers trying to protect his arm actually hurt his arm. I'm not sure where the logic is in that. To me, it sounded like he was trying to sell the New York Mets, Steve Cohen, and the Mets fan base on the fact that he's not a declining 37-year-old pitcher. And I'm not saying he is, but when you're, th- when you're 37 years old and you can't pitch in the NLCS because your arm is dead, you know you're gonna have to explain that once when a team signs you to a deal worth 130 million over three years i wish nothing but the best for scherzer i felt like those comments were a little bit unwarranted i thought the dodgers treated him well it seems now looking back on it now as a dodger fan it seems like scherzer and dave roberts had a fundamental disagreement on managerial strategies but that's water under the bridge roberts is with the dodgers scherzer is with the mets Seager is with the Rangers. More on Chris Taylor later. Clayton Kershaw and Kenley Jansen are still free agents. With today being the last day before the collective bargaining agreement expires. We got some basketball to talk about. The Miami Heat and Chicago Bulls have been forced to forfeit their next second round draft picks as punishment for violating the NBA's tampering rules. Per an official statement from the NBA, it was determined both clubs, quote, violated league rules governing the timing of this season's free agency discussions regarding their acquisitions of Kyle Lowry, the Heat, and Lonzo Ball, the Bulls. The Heat issued a statement on Twitter responding to the league's announcement, saying, quote, while we disagree, we accept the league's decision, we are moving on with our season. (laughs) That's pretty ballsy. I know Pat Pat Riley had something to do with that statement being put out there the way it was. The Heat and Bulls agreed to sign in trade deals to acquire Lowry and Ball in separate moves on August 2nd, the day the NBA's free agency negotiating period began. Chicago gave Lonzo a four-year deal worth $85 million and sent Gary Temple, Thomas Sadoransky, and a 2024 second-round pick and cash to the New Orleans Pelicans as part of the sign-in trade agreement. Miami sent Goran Dragic and Precious Achua to the Raptors in the deal for Lowry, who received a three-year deal worth $85 million from the Heat immediately. Uh, five, five days later... Woj of ESPN reported the league opened a tampering investigation into both deals to, quote, examine illegal contact among teams and players before the start of free agency. Woj reported on November 2nd, excuse me, November 12th, that the NBA's investigation had, quote, reached the advanced stages with the league having completed numerous interviews with team executives and player agents and gathered electronic messaging from front office members of the four teams involved, the Heat, Bulls, Raptors, Pelicans, and Pelicans. Uh, Wednesday's announcement marks the first time a team has been, um, a team has been docked a draft pick for tampering since December 2020. The Milwaukee Bucks had to forfeit their 2022 second-round selection for having illegal contact with Bogdan Bogdanovich and or his agent in the offseason. So that's the latest. We got some college football to talk about. This is spicy. Brian Kelly obviously has left Notre Dame for LSU, but his reply, or he's not, not his reply, his goodbye has reportedly been leaked. So he spoke with the team's players for three minutes and 42 seconds Tuesday morning in his final meeting before leaving for LSU. The Athletic obtained an audio recording of the goodbye message, which, which centered on what Kelly described as a, quote, magical time building the Fighting Irish program since 2010. Quote, good morning, guys. Thanks for getting up here in short order, short notice. As you know, I sent out a text last night trying to give you as much notice as possible, given the circumstances that we all know. 
that happened relative to social media and information getting out. And look, I know we've been through this together. I recruited virtually everybody in this room and I want to be able to tell you face to face why we're at where we're at. And that is very simply that the past 12 years have been the most incredible 12 years of my life for me and my family being here at Notre Dame. Magical in what we've been able to build with the most incredible student athletes, the ones that I'm looking at right now. So that's that. I mean, a lot of players have um, kind of shunned Kelly and it's understandable. I mean, you get hurt. He find a be- he found what he considers for himself to be a better opportunity. Obviously, at, at the moment, uh, LSU is significantly inferior to Notre Dame when it comes to football, even though LSU won the national championship just a couple years ago. But they basically offered Kelly a blank check and he took it. Switching gears to the NFL, Cleveland Browns general manager Andrew Barry said on Wednesday that he expects quarterback Baker Mayfield to play his, quote, best football after the team returns from its Week 13 bye. Barry also downplayed any consideration of a quarterback change for the stretch run of the season, with the Browns currently 11th in the AFC standings with a 6-6 six and six record. Case Keenum is the team's backup quarterback. I don't see how any sane person would ride with Case Keenum over Baker Mayfield. I just don't see it. Barry agrees with me. As he said, quote, Baker's our quarterback. He's healthy enough to win games for us. If he's ready to go, he's going to be our starter. Mayfield has played through numerous injuries throughout the 2021 season, including shoulder, shoulder, foot, knee, and groin ailments. He's only missed one game, though, which was a Week 7 win over the Denver Broncos, but he's looked far less than 100% in recent weeks. The 2018 first overall pick completed only 50.6% of his throws, 44 of 87, for under 500 yards with three touchdowns and three interceptions in the team's last three games before the bye week. It's a stretch that included road losses to the Patriots and Ravens, along with a three-point home win over the winless Detroit Lions. So he has looked far from great uh, after Sunday's loss. Uh, to the Ravens, Mayfield said he hadn't suffered any, quote, major setbacks with his various injuries and would seek to use the week off to get closer to full strength, and hopefully he was able to do that. Quote, just with all the rehab and everything I've been doing and just having to take the extra time to try and take care of my body, he told reporters, obviously this bye week came comes at a pretty crucial time for me to make that turning point to get back to 100%. So hope, hopefully uh, Baker Mayfield will be able to do so. Transitioning to some tennis, believe it or not, this is the second straight episode where I'm talking about tennis. What a weird situation this is. The WTA, which is basically like the WNBA of tennis, is suspending the staging of tournaments in China and Hong Kong amid ongoing uh, questions surrounding Peng Shuai's status in her native country. Quote, in good conscience, I don't see how I can ask our athletes to compete there when Peng Shuai is not allowed to communicate freely and has seemingly been a pressure to contradict her allegation of sexual assault, WTA chairman Steve Simon said. Paying alleged on Chinese social media platform Weibo, she had been sexually assaulted by Zhang Guali, a retired vice premier in the Chinese government. Quote, that afternoon, I was very afraid. I didn't expect it to be like this, she wrote, of the alleged assault by Zhang. I didn't agree to have sex with you and kept crying that afternoon. Wow. Uh, Peng's post was removed from the site and she remained silent on the matter until Chinese state media network CGTN shared a statement. It said she wrote on November 17th. The message said that the Weibo post was, quote, released without my consent and that she was, quote, not missing, nor am I unsafe. Interesting. <laughs> she also had a video call with International Olympics Committee President Thomas Bach to, uh, to relieve any fears about her safety. Hu Zhejin, editor-in-chief of another Chinese state media outlet, The Global Times, posted a clip showing Peng at an event in Beijing. 
Simon issued a statement on November 20th saying he was unconvinced by the message call and video saying, quote, while it is positive to see her, it remains unclear if she is free and able to make decisions and take actions on her own without coercion or external interference. This video alone is insufficient. As I have stated from the beginning, I remain concerned about Peng Shui's health and safety and that the allegation of sexual assault is being censored and swept under the rug. The European Union echoed his sentiment when it called for China to provide, quote, verifiable proof confirming Peng's safety. So that's crazy. I mean wow that's explosive uh hats off to the wta chairman i wish we had more people in the world like him and um hopefully peng shui is fine i mean uh, what can I, hopefully she's okay i mean i truly hope that everything works out china is a truly evil place and um uh it's situations like this that make me feel truly blessed to be able to live in the united states and call this place home you know when you look at other countries and see some of the atrocities going on Going back to sports, though, Portland Trailblazers point guard Damian, Damian Lillard will miss at least 10 days after an MRI-confirmed lower abdominal uh, tendinopathy. Wow, I'm not a doctor, but uh, that doesn't sound great. He will be reevaluated after the 10-day period. This is not the first time Dame has been sidelined by this ailment, as he previously missed a November 14th game against the Denver Nuggets with the same injury. The 31-year-old reportedly played through the Tokyo Olympics with this injury, so... It's possible that Lillard's ab- abdominal ailment has hampered him this season. The six-time All-Star is averaging 21.5 points on less than 40% shooting in 20 games, adding eight, per- eight assists per game. D- Dame is obviously Portland's uh, best player, and he is critical. We got some more injuries to talk about. Miami Heat star Bam Adebayo will undergo surgery on his right thumb to repair a torn UCL. Per an official statement from the team, out-of-bios surgery will take place this weekend, and his return timetable will be determined after the procedure. Woj reported the heat center is expected to miss between four and six weeks. So that's not awful. However, Jeff Stotts of InStreetClothes.com and Rotowire noted the average return from UCL surgery takes roughly seven weeks. That's worth noting. An absence of four to six weeks would keep Adebayo out of bio out of as many as 21 games if he takes the full six weeks to recover. He suffered the injury during Monday's nine-point loss to the Nuggets. There was no indication that he was an issue as he played 35 minutes and had a double-double with 24 points and 13 rebounds. So that's a huge loss for the Heat, but, you know, he'll be back for sure. Transitioning back to baseball. Former Houston Astros shortstop Carlos Correa, who's arguably the number one free agent on the market right now, um, is in no rush to sign a new contract. MLB Network reported that Correa is, quote, comfortable with not getting a deal done before the impending MLB lockout. More on that later. The League and MLB Players, Associ- the League and MLB Players Association have until 11.59 p.m. Eastern tonight to agree to a new collective bargaining agreement. Spoiler alert, they have not done so. It is now 10.52 p.m. Pacific time, uh, so that's not happening. Um, a potential lockout could lead to the tax threshold increasing, and Heyman noted that would benefit that would benefit Correa. So I mean, he's in a great spot, really. Uh, Heyman also added that Correa is generating interest for a potential move to third base. Correa is one of the best shortstops in baseball, winning the his winning the first American League Platinum Glove award of his career this past season. Heyman said Correa is believed to be quote terrific at the hot corner, and would and he would consider switching positions for quote the perfect situation. Correa is coming off. One of the best seasons of his seven-year career, the 27-year-old batted 279 with 26 home runs and 92 RBIs while recording a career-high 7.2 war. That's wins above replacement. Uh, he was named to the All-Star game for the second time in his career and helped lead the Houston Astros to their third World Series appearance in five years. Correa declined his uh, qualifying offer from the Astros worth $18.4 million and decided to test the open market. And he became the headliner of the free agent class full of high-profile shortstops, including Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, 
who went to the Rangers, and Javier Baez already committed to the Detroit Tigers. Uh, so yeah, besides Correa, Trevor Story is the only other t- top shortstop who remains unsigned, so we'll see what happens with them. Transitioning to more basketball, more injuries. This is a huge setback for the Suns. Devin Booker is expected to miss, quote, a few games for the Phoenix Suns because of a left hamstring injury, according to Woj of ESPN. He said, quote, it's not believed to be a serious injury. I'm told to expect he's going to miss at least a few games. Woj added the Suns don't believe that he'll be out for that long. Book was limited to only 15 minutes in Tuesday's 104-96 victory over the Golden State Warriors, finishing with 10 points, 2 rebounds, and an assist. The 25-year-old is arguably the best player on the Suns. Uh, and he's their best shot at, re- at returning to the NBA Finals. The shooting guard is averaging 23 points a game this year, which is 15th in the league, and shooting a career-high 40.3% from three. Um, but, I mean, it's not like the uh, Suns desperately need him. They've won 17 games in a row, so they could afford to you know, not have Devin Booker for a few games. Switching gears to UFC. UFC president Dana White revealed he and his entire family tested positive for COVID-19 after gathering in Maine for Thanksgiving. Quote, we just went up to my place in Maine and for Thanksgiving, it's tradition. We go up there and somebody had it and we and we get back and we all tested positive for COVID. White said on the Jim Rome podcast, literally the whole family and my family up in Maine, too. White said he is fully vaccinated and in isolation after experiencing mild symptoms, including the temporary loss of his sense of taste and smell. The UFC president also said he is, quote, doing the protocol and staying away from people until he tests negative. Quote, I hope I can attend Saturday's UFC on ESPN 31 event. If I test negative, then I will absolutely positively be there. I'm going to do the exact protocol that's supposed to be done and make sure that I'm clean and can go around and be around people again. UFC on ESPN 31 is scheduled for Saturday in Las Vegas and will pit Rob Font, who is 19-4 in MMA and 9-3 in the UFC against one of the greatest fighters of all time in Jose Aldo, 30-7 overall, 12-6 in the UFC in the main event in the bantamweight division. Font is on a four-fight winning streak and Aldo is a two-time UFC featherweight title holder. So... Hopefully Dana White recovers, and I'm ve- I'm very much looking forward to that fight. We got more baseball. Marcus Stroman agreed to a three-year contract with the Chicago Cubs on Wednesday, which Jeff Passan of ESPN reported is worth seventy-one million. Um, yeah, I mean Stroman is um very excited. He tweeted, "Quote: Chicago has always been one of my favorite cities. Culture and passion everywhere. Beyond excited to pitch in front of the best fan bases in all of sports. Thank you to everyone in the city for the warm welcome. I can feel it. Let's get to work." Wrigley Field is the only big league stadium I haven't pitched at in my career. Crazy, can't wait to call it home. I love Marcus Stroman. He's one of the best, one of my favorite players, probably my favorite non-Dodger player in baseball. Uh, the agreement comes not long after Matt Spiegel of WSCR AM 670. The score reported the two sides were deep in talks. Stroman will turn 31 years old in May. He started 33 games with the Mets last season. He went 10-13 and 13 with a 3.02 ERA, 1.15 whip, and 158 strikeouts in 179 innings. So he's very solid. Um, big signing for the Cubs, you know, as they look to get back on track. But uh, great for all sides involved, in my opinion. Switching gears back to college football. Notre Dame has reportedly promoted defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman to head coach in place of Brian Kelly, who left the Fighting Irish for LSU this week. For, former Notre Dame walk-on running back Mick Asif was, his, was the first to report the news, which was also stated by John Bryce of Football Scoop and The Athletic. In addition, the Fighting Irish will retain offensive coordinator Tommy Reese, who had an opportunity to leave Notre Dame and join Kelly at LSU, but he decided to stay. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Kelly you know opted to leave the team after getting a huge contract as i talked about extensively so yeah uh new head coach already found for notre dame and we got some baseball to talk about to close out this episode of the sean sports podcast 
the ninth work stoppage in Major League Baseball history has officially begun. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred released a letter to fans early Thursday morning confirming the league's lockout uh, of players. ESPN's Jeff Passan reported earlier in the evening that the lockout, which occurred after the collective bargaining agreement between MLB and MLBPA, expired at 11.59 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, was official. Earlier that day, MLB Network and, uh, and Odyssey reported that the owners unanimously voted to institute the lockout. That's pretty crazy. Um, Passan reported earlier today that a lockout appeared to be imminent after MLB and MLBPA leaders held a meeting at an Irving, Texas hotel that lasted only seven minutes long. That is funny. That capped three days of bargaining, which Passan wrote, quote, produced no progress after months of talks had done the same. That's concerning as a fan of baseball. Manfred provided the league side of the story in his letter, which read in part, quote, I want to explain to you how we got here and why we have to take this action today. Simply put, we believe that an off-season lockout is the best mechanism to protect the 2022 season. We hope that the lockout will jumpstart the negotiations and get us to an agreement that will allow the season to start on time. This defensive lockout was necessary because the Players Association's vision for Major League Baseball would threaten the ability for most team, of most teams to be competitive. It's simply not a viable option. From the beginning, the MLBPA has been unwilling to move from their starting, starting position, compromise, or collaborate in solutions. <laughs> so MLBPA responded with its own statement as the union pointed its, pointed its finger at the league. What a shit show as they said, quote, Major League Baseball has announced a lockout of players shutting down our industry. This shutdown is a dramatic measure regardless of the timing. It is not required by law or for any other reason. It was the owner's choice, plain and simple, specifically calculated to pressure players into relinquishing rights and benefits and abandoning good faith bargaining proposals that will benefit not just players, but the game and industry as a whole. These tactics are not new. We have been here before and players have risen to the occasion time and again, guided by a solidarity that has been forged over generations. We will do so again here. We remain determined to return to the field under the terms of a negotiated collective bargaining agreement that is fair to all parties and provides fans with the best version of the game we all love. That seems like a more solid statement to me. This lockout marks the first work stoppage in the MLB in MLB history since the 1994-95 strike, which ended up resulting in the cancellation of the end of the 1994 season and a delayed start, plus more lost games to begin in 1995. Players have now been locked out four times, with the latest occurrence taking place in 1990. That lockout was resolved early enough to avoid lost games. ESPN's Jesse Rogers wrote a massive FAQ covering everything fans need to know about the lockout. While it could lead to missed games, Rogers noted that time is on the league and players' union side. Opening day is not until March 31st. That's a while from now. And while the lockout would need to end before then to allow players time to train before the season, it isn't as if the start of the 2022 campaign is around the corner either. Spring training does not start until February. Most importantly for now, hot stove season would come to a screeching halt. Rogers provided more information, saying, quote, Everything halts except that teams still could talk to one another. Conceivably, trades could be co co consummated during the lockout, but not announced until after it ends. The major league uh, portion of the winter meeting scheduled for next week would be canceled. There would be little uh, point to hold to holding the meetings as agents couldn't meet with teams. In fact, team personnel wouldn't even be allowed to speak to the media about players on 40-man rosters during the lockout. The minor league side of the meetings would continue. Off-season drug testing would stop as well. It would pick up as soon as a new CBA is ratified. Passan clarified Thursday that the winter meetings have been canceled on the major league side, but that they would still continue for minor league baseball. It's no surprise. I mean, the league's a shit show. But that is all we have for this episode of the Sean Sports Podcast. If you guys enjoy the show, Leave a review on iTunes, positive, negative, I don't care. Follow me on Instagram at Sean Hard, though, S-E-A-N-H-A-R-D-T-H-O. And that's pretty much it. Uh, 
three days in a row I've done an episode. I love doing this. I'll see you guys on the next one, and I'm out.